Well, friends, we are continuing our series of messages out of the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, and we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, or 11 through the end of the chapter, page 1665 in the Bibles in the pew racks. Ephesians 2, second half of that chapter, verse 11. We read these words. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Beloved in Christ, after Jesus came to die and rise from the dead and the Holy Spirit came to live in people at Pentecost, the church began to grow at a phenomenal rate, beginning in Jerusalem with Jews putting their faith in Christ. But hot on their heels, the Gentiles or non-Jews also began putting their faith in Christ. God's plan for the family of God, the church, included having all kinds of people be a part of it. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Ephesian church, was one of the first missionary forces in the early church to the Gentiles. His preaching of the good news of forgiveness and eternal life was one of the big reasons that Gentiles, non-Jews, were coming to faith in Christ on the heels of the Jews. So in the early church, on the one hand, we have a bunch of Jewish people putting their faith in Jesus. And on the other hand, we have a growing number of Gentiles also starting to put their faith in Jesus. Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, God wants them all together. 
united as one body, not separate, altogether in God's mighty hands. This Jew-Gentile togetherness made for a lot of fireworks. The Jews had their 2,000-year chosen people history with the Lord God. But now these unclean, heathen, non-law-abiding Gentiles are going to horn in on the blessings of these servants of God. The blessings of being servants of God. The Jewish Christians had problems with this new arrangement. And the Gentiles apparently may have taken this newfound status with God a bit for granted. They were without hope and without God in the world. We read that. But God opened the door for them. And now perhaps they're taking that grace from God for granted. Still, God says, I want Jew and Gentile worshiping me together side by side. So they're being taught by God through the apostles, through the early church councils, through the word of God, being all taught together that they better get used to this and better start to like it because it's the way God wants it. Here in Ephesians, we get some of that instruction for the Gentile side. Paul is teaching them about what God has done for them in Jesus Christ. And now we get into Paul's first great image in this passage. God took Gentiles who were far away from him, that's Paul's big theme here, and brought them near to him. They didn't know God as God or as their Savior, didn't worship, serve, or love him. They were far away, but Christ brought them near. They were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship with the Jews, Israel, foreigners to all the glorious covenants that God gave as promises to Israel. They were without hope, without God in the world, without eternal promises, without covenants that God would forgive their sins and be their God forever and give them life without an inheritance with God, excluded from all of that, separate from all of it, far away from it all. But Paul says, now you Gentiles have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Well, Paul says it another way, too. He talks about peace, having peace with God. One of the ways we talk about life without God is that we are at war with him. We are filled with hatred for God. There is no friendship or peace between us. There are walls between us and God that need to be broken down. Well, Jesus broke the walls down. Jesus pulled down the barriers. Jesus tore apart the curtain. Jesus brought reconciliation. In Matthew 27, when Jesus on the cross had cried out in a loud voice and gave up his spirit, at that very moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain that separated people from the most holy place where God dwelt. The curtain between heaven and earth, the curtain separating God and us. As Jesus breathed his last, God reached down, ripped that curtain in two. He opened up heaven to sinful people by the blood of Christ. No more separation between God and us. No more hatred. No more enmity. No more war with God. Christ's death brought peace between us. 
reconciliation. God did that for the Jews, and God did that for the Gentiles, non-Jews, like us. That's not all he did. The text is talking about another barrier entirely found near the temple. The barrier that separated Jew from Gentile. The temple area in the time of King Herod had varying degrees of holiness in it. The holiest place, holy of holies, where God dwelt. Then there was the holy place where the priests and Levites could go. And then there was the uh, court of men. Israelite men, then further out yet was the court of Israelite women, and then finally came the court of the Gentiles, and vertical barriers made each level more and more exclusive. Who you were determined how closely you could get to that holy of holies where God dwelt. And the non-Jews, the Gentiles, had to stay down and away and off to the sides of the temple area. But Paul is saying here that on the cross, Jesus destroyed this barrier too. The wall of hostility that divided Jew and Gentile, he destroyed it. How? With his death on the cross. He set aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, verse 15. In other words, Jesus fulfilled for everyone all the former requirements that for years had kept the Jews holier, let's say, than the non-Jews. All the rituals that made it possible for Jews to get a little bit closer to God and kept the Gentiles further away. Jesus fulfilled these for everyone. All the ritual requirements about diet and sacrifices, all the extra traditions that the Jews followed so closely were fulfilled by Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Now, the passage is not talking about the Ten Commandments here. We know that because Matthew 5 and Romans 3 says that Jesus did not change God's moral law. It's now written on the hearts of men and women. But all this stuff that made a Jewish person Jewish, Jesus fulfilled it. It was finished at last. It is finished, Jesus said on the cross. These things were finished. So now Jew and Gentile can live together with, in peace with, with not only God, but each other in one body, the church. Jesus took two groups, Jew and Gentile, made them one in his body. He made peace between them. When he made peace between God and humans, he took everything that was far away, brought it near. Humanity's relationship with God and human beings' relationship with other human beings. Everything once far away, now brought near. Christ accomplished that at the cross. said, this is what you are, Jews, and this is what you are, Gentiles, because of my work at the cross. No more barriers between you. You are together. You are at peace. You are one people. You are united. Not difficult to understand in theory. In practice, quite difficult to live by. God has declared us United. 
For the first century church, it was a matter of learning this truth for the very first time, and then the really hard thing was to actually start living by it. Imagine, let's say your bitterest enemy, the man who undercut all your bids on the jobs you wanted and then did low-quality work and still rubbed it in your face. The woman who always has to make little comments about things you do she makes sure you will hear about them, will make it clear she doesn't think you're good enough or that your efforts are worthy enough. Think of your own example. He ticks you off. She makes you feel small. Well, the last thing in the world you want to do is consider yourself united to this person, right? Be honest kind of angry with them, battling them. You'd like to give them peace of your mind every time you see them. But by the way, you are one in Christ Jesus. Try that on for size, huh? Shoe doesn't fit that well, does it? Because of what Jesus did, you're united with God and united with his children easy to grasp that truth, often hard to take. Because we're still tempted to raise walls. Think of the walls we build. The same walls kids build at school. That's all you have to go to. Go to the playground. Walls based on how much money a person or family has. Where do they go on vacation? Walls based on how a person dresses. Cute, latest styles or ugly hand-me-downs. Walls based on what kind of house someone lives in. Walls based on what kind of school a person attends. Homeschool, public school, Christian school, charter school. Walls based on how smart a person is. Does that kid get pulled out for extra help? We sure are tempted to build walls. In Galatians 3, Paul tells us, In Christ there is no Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for we're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you automatically, by the blood of Jesus, become Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You become an Israelite, so to speak, close to God. We have everything important in common with our fellow believers in Jesus Christ. That's the church. That's the unity of the church. Now, Paul says in the passage, listen to what we have and do in common. Listen to the, all the things that Paul puts on our we all do this together lists. Five things. Paul uses a building metaphor in verses 19 through 22. So we will too. Number one, how does the building begin? You begin the building with belief. Common belief. You look around here today, and every person here who has accepted Christ as their Savior shares a common belief. They believe in Jesus. They believe he died for them on the cross to take their sins away, to give them eternal life. 
because of the resurrection. Paul says, this building is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. In other words, it's built on the word of God. What did the apostles and prophets do? They told people to believe in the Lord God. The prophets in the Old Testament did that. The apostles in the New Testament did that. They preached God's word. They urged people, believe in God. Believe in Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone of the building. Now, cornerstone, modern buildings, not so much. They're ornamentation. We put words on them, dates, and sometimes time capsules behind them. But ancient buildings, cornerstones of buildings were the workhorse stone. They were the first stone that was put down. Every other stone was measured and lined up according to that stone. If you removed the cornerstone, the building would come down. It was like a supporting beam. The text says Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, the tested stone, as Isaiah has it in chapter 28, verse 16. So it's Jesus who is the cornerstone for the foundation. Then the foundation, the apostles and prophets, then finally all of us. And the entire foundation is always about the gospel. Reach out with the gospel. Tell the gospel of Jesus Christ so that people will believe. To be built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets is to believe, to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's how the building begins. Begins with belief. Number two, you strengthen the building with fellowship. Verse 19 says, there are no longer any foreigners or strangers, but only fellow citizens and members with God's people of God's household. The whole building joined together. You strengthen the building with fellowship. Now here's the one we kind of talked about already. Those who are far away are now brought near. We are in close relationship. We are in community. We have unity. All barriers are down. All barriers are down. Male, female, rich, poor, big house, little house, handsome, homely, popular, unpopular, black, white, contemporary Christian music lovers, traditional gospel music lovers, young, old, suits, jeans, dresses, jeans, public school, Christian school, homeschool, charter school, big kid, little kid, slow walker, fast walker, abled, disabled, low talker, loud talker, weird, more weird. We're all weird, okay? You name the barrier. In the body of Christ, that barrier's down in God's eyes. And when the barrier is up in our eyes, something is wrong. The barrier needs to be smashed. We all have the same father. We all call him dad or daddy or Abba, Romans 8, 15. You strengthen the building with indiscriminate friendship fellowship. What do you see when you walk around the service in that room? Whom are you looking for? Same old gang just like you? Or is there someone standing alone? whom you need to gather into your fold, embrace with your heart, and let them know the barriers are down. Strengthen the building with fellowship. Number three, you heighten the building with growth. Paul says the building rises, verse 21. How does it rise? In order for a building to rise, you first dig 
down? What do you dig into? The word of God, the bedrock foundation of the prophets and apostles, what they taught. If you want to grow spiritually, if you want to heighten yourself with spiritual growth, you will have to dig down deeply into the word of God. Read it, study it, learn it, love it. You dig down to go up. Sears Tower, Willis Tower, it's called now, in Chicago. Before the builders ever started building, ever started building up and heightening, they dug down till they hit bedrock and they drove 114 steel piles down into bedrock so that the tower's 440 million pounds could be supported. You dig down so you can build up. You grow up by digging down into the word. And what the result can be is that you can grow your church too. You can know the word of God so that you can tell it to others, so that the church will grow even numerically. You dig in the word so that you can share the gospel and heighten the building, heighten it with growth. How many of us are doing either one of these growth activities in the church? Digging into the word, telling others the good news. That's what heightens the church. Number four. You customize it with holiness. Verse 21 says that the building that is the church, the people are a holy temple in the Lord. Customize it with holiness. What's holiness? Well, it's becoming more like Jesus Christ. What's holiness? It's being set apart for God and doing his will, obeying him. It's looking different from the way the world looks. Anyone ever go on those Parade of Homes tours? They're great. It's, it's always interesting when you, when you drive down streets in certain neighborhoods, a lot of the times the houses, for the most part, they look all similar, but then you get to a parade home. Maybe the same style, same size, same color, but there are certain things in a parade home that set it apart, make it look different than the other houses on the block. There might be extra large molding around the garage door. The outdoor lighting might be just a step classier. The windows might be a step up. The house just looks different, a notch or two up. That's holiness. We Christians are supposed to look different from the world. Not holier than thou, not pretending we're perfect, not that, but rather not participating in things the world does that would have us disobeying God. Not joining in when someone's name is being dragged through the mud. Building someone up when they're being torn down. We're supposed to live with the mind of Christ. Transforming the world around us into little oases of holiness where justice and peace and love and protection and purity reign. That's holiness. Thinking with the mind of Christ and speaking with the voice of Christ and acting with the hands of Christ, which is different than the hands and voice and mind of the world. Customize the building with holiness. Make the church look like a parade home, a house of light on a hill. Customize it 
with holiness. Number five, you occupy the building with God's spirit. You occupy. Verse 22, we're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And what is evident when the spirit of God is dwelling in God's people more than anything else, there is vitality among God's people. The church is alive and active. The church is using their spirit-given gifts in service to Christ. The church is reaching out with the gospel to its neighbors, renewing its community. The church is caring for the family of God. The church is worshiping together. If you're occupying the building, not the physical, building, but the church, the body of Christ. If you're an occupant of the church, you are alive, serving, caring, worshiping, learning, telling others, reaching, renewing, growing, because the Spirit of God in you cannot be stopped. The church is filled with belief, fellowship, spiritual growth, holiness, and, of course, Christ's Holy Spirit. The church is God's home. Without the barriers, with the unity, God says you are all one. Well, are we? Are these we-do-these-things-all-together items on our to-do lists? Is this a picture of the faith community church body that you want. It's what God has made us to be. He has united us to do these very things for these very purposes. And let's pray that we're united in wanting it God's way. Let's pray now. Our Father in heaven, after hearing it straight from your word, that that's your way, of course we do want it, but we do confess when we haven't wanted it. So forgive us when we've turned aside from being one, being united, having unity. Forgive us for our part in that. But then spur us on, spur us on to be the church because you have brought us near to you and to one another by Jesus and what he did on the cross. So spur us on, we pray, that we will do these very things the way you want us to. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.